Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning and welcome to Money and Me. Today, have you been wondering how everyone else is coping with inflation, GST increases, the idea of recession and the specter of job losses? Well, today we're asking how are Singaporeans doing financially? How are Singaporeans coping with rising costs of living? What is the level of financial awareness of Singaporeans given there are different demographic audiences, if you think about it, and how can financial services firms best support these groups. So great audience insights right now. We've asked our friends from GWI. They're a leading audience insights company to help us make sense of Singapore-specific data from their recent study of finance and fintech. Joining me is Aditi Kohli, Senior Vice President for APEC at GWI, responsible for GWI's growth strategy throughout APEC and recognized for accomplishments by Campaign Asia Pacific's 40 Women to Watch back in 2018. Good morning, Aditi. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Michelle. Thanks for having me over on the show. Great to speak with you. So give us an overview. How financially literate would you say Singaporeans are from the survey? And later on, I think we'll dig into key differences. But give us a sense of how financially literate we are here in Singapore. Great question to start with. Some interesting facts came out when we recently, like you alluded upon, when we recently did our study across various global markets on how consumers manage their money. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, while we were taking this survey, we asked folks-based questions on their budget, their savings, their credit scores, financial planning tools, and then we split our Singaporean uh, friends into three categories, into advanced, into amateurs, and into novices. So mm-hmm. when I'm looking at advanced, I'm talking about Singaporeans who are saving more than six months of their salary. Or, or six months of savings uh, is what they have. And interestingly, what really came out of this study was that 83% of Singaporeans say they were somewhat confident in their financial decisions. Mm. They were confident. However, when we are looking at financial literacy, that was only standing at 26%. So people are confident of their financial decisions, but they are not really exploring a lot and they are really not in-depth on the financial literacy aspect. And 38% were absolutely novices, and 36% were amateurs here. So what does this really mean, where you have more confidence but not so great literacy? This actually creates an opportunity for banks, for financial institutions, for fintech companies to step in and help educate our Singaporean friends on how to better manage their finances. So definitely, you know, something to be worked on. That's an interesting observation there, and really that's the premise of this show, what we've been doing for the last five years. Help us understand whether financial literacy differs across gender. Absolutely. Financial literacy <laughs> differences. And me being as a woman, I can even say that more confidently. <laughs> so in Singapore, if I see specifically, 28% men are extremely confident of their financial decisions whereas only 17% of the women are confident in those decisions. If I look at at a global uh, way or on a global scale, mm-hmm. women are less literate in terms of the investment tools, 
women are less interested, I would say, in the absolute economic outlook. They are less likely to contribute to online discussions around finance, and they are generally scoring low on the financial literacy front. And you know, they also have less trust, I would say, globally in banks and in financial institutions. I wouldn't say this is an absolute case for our Singaporean ladies, right? Because Mm-mm. if you're looking at this study, Singapore women and men are about equal for having the same retirement plan. And Singapore women do have a relatively consistent attitude towards saving. And obviously, this has given our literacy rate in general compared to the global average. However, I still do feel, you know, there, there, are, there is a lot more to be done in increasing this gap, like I mentioned about, you know, the confident financial decisions that men as a curve is going towards. And, uh, you know, it will be really important for financial institutions to pay more attention to the financial needs of women to kind of shorten this gap that we are seeing in the market today. It's so interesting and so different from the past, you know, when we would hear here in Singapore, a whole generation of men would hand over their paychecks to women who were the bankers of the house. They ran everything. (laughs) Uh, Things seem to have changed a bit over the years. So an opportunity for financial institutions and banks to reach out to women as an audience when it comes to financial literacy. Very interesting. Now, when it comes with, to budgeting, you mentioned there is a group of Singaporeans who are able to save six months of their salary. Um, yeah. But how good are Singaporeans in general with budgeting and aiming for retirement? How good are we there? So I would say living in Singapore, I thought, wow, we guys, we live in one of the world's most expensive cities. So majority of us, you know, will be very good at budgeting exercise or generally saving in money, right? Mm-hmm. But... Through our, you know, the, the insights that we kind of built up, we see that only about a third of Singaporeans always follow a budget. And from that, less than 30% actually strictly keep to a budget. So there are ah. folks, you know, who kind of overspend. But I would still say it's decent news. 30% people still keeping to a strict budget from the third of who are actually following a budget. It's, it's still better than, you know, some of the other countries uh, so I, I think we there is discipline to be made, but it's not that we are we are really far off. So that's that's an interesting uh, note we had. And obviously, budgeting is basically keeping your monthly spending plan intact. And we mm-hmm. are obviously saving sometimes for the rainy day. Not always, but yes, it's it's a good exercise. And Singaporeans are not superbly disciplined at it, but we are getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really surprised that only a third, you know, think of budgeting, and then less than that. Uh, 30% yeah. of that third actually stick to that budget. That's surprisingly low, isn't it? I mean, how does Correct. that fare globally? Globally, in fact, you'll be surprised. It, it depends from country to country. So in countries where there is uh. more money or there is more financial literacy, like if I was to look into Germany, for example, things could mm. be carved out a little bit differently. But Singapore is not really far behind in the flow of cash and in terms of just the budgeting exercise. Mm. So yeah, we, we are... We are Kind of there, but we are still not there, I would say. Okay. And how are Singaporeans doing when it comes to preparing for retirement? Very interesting. You know, uh, just looking at how early, you know, Singaporeans start. So, again, given like I alluded upon, we live in one of the most expensive cities globally. And mm-hmm. Singaporeans generally know that it's important to start early when planning for retirement. 
So a third say the ideal time to start saving is in their 20s. And more interestingly, retirement planning is the number one thing that Singaporeans want banks to help them with. Yeah. Mm. So it, it, that's, that's like really amazing. And uh, on the other hand, if we see that in, uh, for consumers in markets like China, there is a lot less hurry to start saving for retirement. Only 14% say that it's best to begin before 30, right? Now, an interesting uh, fact that I also would want to share with you, Michelle, is though we start earlier planning for our retirement and, you know, in those planning tools or in our 20s, despite all of that caution, Singaporeans are still retiring later than their counterparts in other countries. And it's likely mm. because of the cost of living pressures we have here. Yeah. So mm-hmm. close to 10% in Singapore who are, you know, in, in their mid-50s to their mid-60s say they are retired, only 10%. And this is over 40%, if I see the same average. In China, 40% of the people will retire in, in that age gap. Now, obviously, there would be countries retiring different ages and all that. But just from mm-hmm. an age perspective, you can see the variance from 10% in Singapore retired to, you know, 40% plus in, in China retiring. So, and only 14% of Singaporeans are the ones who do not have a financial plan for retirement rest. Everybody, like I said, when people start planning in from their 20s, even if they're retiring mm-hmm. late, they start investing into their financial, uh, you know, in their financial plans for retirement. So th- this is also a very interesting one which came out that, you know, we are likely thinking way ahead than our global counterparts. I think it's interesting that Singaporeans want help from financial institutions to help with retirement. Because again, there was a time when if I would open phone lines and speak to listeners, they would say, oh, you know, the CPF has that all figured out for me. I don't have to worry about retirement. But things have yeah. changed. There is a hunger for retirement planning and info there. Um, Okay, this is really, really interesting. Everybody wants to know what the next person is doing. So help us understand, Aditi, what are Singaporeans spending on? (laughs) Singaporeans, obviously, pre-pandemic, during pandemic, and just looking at now, post-pandemic, the spending has obviously changed. And what they are really spending on, if, if I was to say, which is, I mean, it's, it's really no surprise for folks living in Singapore is travel, right? There's so much pent-up demand for travel following the pandemic that it is no surprise that revenge travel is back and, you know, people are ready to fork out money on their getaways. So 82% are saying that they intend to take a vacation abroad and 72% are saying, which is, we feel is a, is a pretty interesting number, that they plan to take a staycation in the next 12 months. So people are really wanting to get out of their houses. So travel is just one thing. There are other places also where Singaporeans are cautious, but still spending in in certain specific areas. Like, you know, in the next six months, 30% of the people want to spend money on concerts. One of the interesting things which stuck with me, and I will completely agree with that, is Mm -hmm. cosmetics. So women have shown some really stark increase in cosmetics as a key item on their list to spend on, which is showing double-digit growth in our country. So how interesting is that? There's the lipstick index. I knew it would come up. I mean, we're heading out again and... As anxieties rise, apparently cosmetic spending is going up. I don't feel so alone anymore. Thanks, Aditya. Um, Let's talk a little bit about 
how people are affording these things. So as cost of living increases, consumers could be looking for new ways to, you know, uh, parcel out their spends on small luxuries. So do we know how many in Singapore are keen on those BNPL schemes, the buy now, pay later schemes? Yes, absolutely. So when we're looking at BNPL, it's not that it's a, it's a, obviously when we are looking at the numbers, you know, we are tipped to surpass one trillion by 2030 by these, you know, buy now, pay later services. And they hold a lot of appeal in this day and age. For Singaporeans, if we were to look at it, our data shows that 43% of consumers say they are interested in using a, you know, BNPL service. And who is this consumer? If we take a little bit of a further step ahead in this, these are typically males. These are the young adults, you know, who are really out there, who find, who are obviously a bit more tech savvy also. And they see this as a very convenient tool. And particularly, you know, it's, it's easily accessible now. However, you know, we obviously in, in, our, in our country, we need to be really careful about, you know, on, on the consumer finance aspect, there needs to be some education. And obviously there is certain regulation also because the biggest fans of BNPL are also the least financially educated, which is the young people is what we see. So definitely, it, we would say it's, it's a rising tide and trend, which has to be treaded with caution for buy now, pay later schemes or services. Yeah, it actually hurts my heart to hear that. The biggest fans are the least financially educated um, because Correct. we know the interest rates with those schemes can be difficult to manage. Absolutely. All right. Just this morning, we were talking about tech companies and layoffs and the latest company to do that in the tech world, tech space, with rising interest rates and um, recession on the specter of things. Do Singaporeans have enough savings to see them through rainy days? So, you know, fortunately, most Singaporeans do have sufficient savings to time them through rainy days. That's a pretty positive result. And especially considering the high cost of living in Singapore, which might sometimes make it challenging for us to build up our reserves. But we are not, we are not a very, you know, a country in which obviously high cost of living is there. But, you know, we do have our savings. If we were to compare that with Japan, we see 70% of consumers who have, you know, enough savings to last them over three months. Singapore is comparable. Um, so I would say, yes, even with these layoffs happening uh, in this difficult scenario, people, people are out there who have several months of savings to, you know, let them go through in, in such hard times. All right. We are talking to Aditi Kohli, Senior Vice President, APEC for GWI. We asked our friends from GWI, the leading audience insights company, to make sense of Singapore-specific data from their recent study of finance and fintech. And it's been fascinating so far. Help us understand. I remember when I first started saving, it was because of a bank. They came to schools and they gave out these little squirrel saving banks. And that's when I learned about saving. What is the approach to saving that we see here in Singapore? So in terms of uh, like just generally savings, I would say women and men, like depending upon who's, how your household is like really structured in, when we go in deeper, it's pretty much people are parking their uh, money in banks. They are getting financially literate. 
And, you know, they've started to invest and rather move a bit out of the debt situation. So they are saving, but they're also investing, mm-hmm. right, in some form of a financial management, which is really helping them better their cash flow. And these are some of the things we have actually seen uh, people starting at an earlier age, planning their retirement, so planning for the future and investing in certain financial tools, which, like I said, more work needs to be done on. And banks, financial institutions, the entire fintech industry is obviously helping them support, uh, build build their financial goals for the future. Now, when we talk about debts, help us understand how many Singaporeans are deep in debt and what kind of debts they're trying to pay off. Right. So I would say, I mean, given the size of our country and given such high percentage of homeowners over here, a fair number of Singaporeans have debts to pay off. So I would say approximately over half of the population has some kind of debt. However, Michelle, I would want to say that, that this might seem like a concerning number, but debt doesn't always have to be a bad thing. Debt can be, like I mentioned, a form of a financial management to help us achieve our financial goals, depending on how much we borrow and why we borrow that money. And obviously, when used responsibility, Uh, responsibly, it can create better cash flow. So for example, if I take a student loan, you know, it will help people get better jobs, right? If I'm taking a home loan, it's helping me build equity, right? However, we need to be mindful on how we see debt. Of course, when debt comes to borrowing to support ongoing living expenses, there is risk involved. And as per our study, we noted that unfortunately, 8% of Singaporeans are not paying their debts off each month. And this rises to around 13% when we are talking about, you know, low earners. So uh, definitely a red flag to watch out for when people are looking at and they're taking debt. What is it it really for? And whether they want to make it more positive for them. Great insight. There is good debt as well. Now, which group in Singapore is more likely to consider their financial situation insecure? I think definitely it's the low-income earners, I would say, right? Because uh, those are the people, you know, who are, I would say, who, are, who don't really have that kind of cash or even when they're looking at investments, they're going through credit checks and things. So they are the one of the most uh, vulnerable groups. I would also say when we look at Gen Zs, like 16 to 25-year-old people, whenever they are making these financial investments, I would say they're also an extremely vulnerable group because they are getting influenced, for example, by F-influence, F-influencers, which are these financial influencers on TikTok with millions of users, right? right. And this, mm-hmm. is, this has not been a proven fact that eventually <laughs> how much of you know, build up this has had in the financial industry because this is still very new. So I would feel people need to be extremely cautious when, you know, they are they are looking at these kind of uh, elements. That is, you know, the young people and obviously the low-income earners who are, who are pretty vulnerable are the, the sensitive ones, I would say. All right. Final question. We saved the best for last. Where do Singaporeans get most of their financial information from? I hope Money FM made it into your survey. <laughs> I was tempted to make it an option. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. But uh, without revealing the absolute names and who made it to the survey, there are three or four places where you know, Singaporeans really look at. So at an average, Singaporeans would use two to three sources 
to get their financial information. The second piece of this would be a lot of Singaporeans use financial advisors for their financial planning. Third interesting fact which came out, which actually was not surprising at all, that Singaporeans actually look up to their families and their friends, um, you know, in terms of how they could be doing these these kind of investments because obviously they can be a prominent source of information in learning about finances and obviously about brand discovery. And lastly, the fourth one is the F influencers, which are the financial influencers, which I alluded upon in my last question. They are definitely winning the interest of the young consumers. So these are the three or four top sector or top sections I would put in terms of, uh, you know, where are they get, where are Singaporeans getting their financial information from? Absolutely fascinating. Terrific insights. Thank you, Aditi, for joining us. Aditi Kohli is Senior Vice President, APEC for GWI. They are a leading audience insights company. And Aditi, by the way, has made Campaign Asia Pacific's 40 Women to Watch list. Fantastic hearing from you, Aditi. Thank you for being with us. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for having me and hope you have a great rest of the day. And you. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.